Hi everyone and welcome back to the SCU Buzz podcast. My name is Blake Skews and I'm a current student at Southern Cross University studying a Bachelor of Education. Today I'll be interviewing Parsi Salberg. He is a Finnish educator, teacher and author and he has advised schools and education system leaders around the world. He served as a senior education specialist at the World Bank and visiting professor of practice at Harvard University. He is a recipient of several awards for his lifelong service in education and is a prolific author of numerous books and articles about education and how to make it better. Not to mention, he is a Twitter rock star with more than 50,000 followers. Welcome to the SEU Buzz Podcast, Parsi. Thank you, Blake. Good to be here. Yes, it's great to have you because I am uh, studying education myself, so I have a lot that I would love to learn from you today, which will be great. I'm good, just good. always learning, even as a student mm-hmm. or afterwards, you're always learning and taking in information. Can you tell us what brought you to the Northern Rivers and to Southern Cross University? Yeah, of course. I was. Um, I came to Australia about four years ago with my family, and we landed in Sydney, so I was there my, my first three Three and a half years there, and it's been. A, it's, Sydney is a beautiful city and, and a wonderful place to be. But we had really rough time, you know, the bushfires and and all these things. And we are here with the two two boys, and and the big city living just started to be a little bit too much for us. For and, sure, absolutely, yeah, much quieter here. <laughs> exactly. I once uh, I remember my wife and and the boys were having a conversation or rather dinner table, and they said, "At this day, is there anything else to see in Australia than?" The beautiful city of Sydney, and uh, so I started to look around and, and came across uh, this place. And you know, living school is here, and I, I know uh, some of the people there, and uh, they warmly encouraged us to consider the Northern Rivers. And then there was an opening here, and uh, I applied, and the rest is history. So, oh, amazing! Well, we're happy to have you on board here. What is your impression of the education faculty at Southern Cross, and what do you see as the priorities for teacher training in Australia? Yeah, you have two big questions uh, there, Blake. Yes, <laughs> asking think, the hard ones today. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think one of the things that really caught my attention uh, earlier before I came here was that the faculty of education and the whole university, but here the, the education community was so strongly putting accent on uh, need to transform and disrupt education. And, you know, most part of my, my work in education uh, before coming here has been exactly this. I, I see that we need to really... Uh, not not only uh, transform, but we need to disrupt many of these things, and especially now after the the pandemic or during the pandemic. So, sure. so I, I think that this faculty is really uh, on board uh, with that, and it's an ambitious plan. But it's also ca- kind of a responsibility for not it's to disrupt and transform other people's education, but really think about what we do. For example, how we train teachers, what type of experiences we need to give. I think your your second question about the teacher education is that, you know, I come from Finland that is often held as a a global benchmark or example of uh, how, how teacher education should be. And it's a, it's a very different different world. All the, all the teachers there are studying master's degree. They do a clinical training, just like a medical doctors in a, in a, in a clinical teacher training schools. And I think... Now, when we we are all thinking about the federal government has put this uh, uh, teacher um, uh, action plan in in place, I think we are all in a situation, including here, that we need to ask this question that you were asking: that you know how the how the teachers in Australia should be should be trained. Oh. Fortunately, I think we what we see here in many many parts is that teachers, the teaching profession, is not valued by the society. It's definitely not valued by the politicians and those who hold the power and. 
Uh, you know, as long as we continue like this, it's very difficult to change the way young people think about the teaching. I think the teaching should be here in Australia, something that young people uh, dream about, that they, they kind of uh, want to do it. I really appreciate, Blake, that you, you're going to be one of those teachers in the future. But, you know, that's it's a difficult to change that un, unless we improve the working conditions of all teachers in Australia and that we compensate their work uh, properly. Sure. I think I think teachers are heavily undercompensated and, and paid. But I think the more important thing is the um, uh, the fact that the working conditions are not what they what they should be, yes. and I, I think that the teacher education is part of that uh, part of that package. So I think we need to we need to th- really think hard about you know how how the future teachers need to be trained and yes and 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 particularly I think the the big issue here in Australia is that this practical. Uh, training a professional experience that uh, students like yourself and others yes. get that. Just think about yourself being a, a student in any of the Finnish universities that you have. You would have a training school, just like the uh, the university uh, teaching hospitals have, where you would be doing all of your practical experience. Yes. And it's a very different uh, different thing to learn to understand what teaching is, what the school is. And, and I, I think that that's one of those issues we need to work harder here. So being more hands-on over there, it feels more like almost like an apprenticeship, almost. No, I wouldn't I wouldn't say, you know, the, the, it's a good, good point because sometimes okay. people say that, uh, you know, some politicians have actually proposed that teachers should be trained through the uh, apprenticeship. But I, I think as soon as we start to talk about apprenticeship, we are not necessarily speaking about professionals. Okay, sure. It's, it's more of like like a craftsman, you know, somebody who. But teaching is not that, you know. Teaching okay. is you're losing the academic side. Teaching of is a profession, and, and okay. that's why, just like a medical doctors uh, cannot be trained through apprenticeship programs. Okay, it has to be academic, uh, rigorous training. But the the practical training uh, that, for example, in Finland we do in these training schools have to be integrated in this uh, mm-hmm. knowledge and theories that teachers need so it makes sense and and that's something that in, in a countries like Australia and some other places where the practical uh, practical training is organized differently uh, are kind of struggling with that the students often right. graduate and then you have you have your theoretical knowledge as in a separate basket sure. and you have a practice that often has nothing to do with these theories yes and, yes and that's something that in Finland you know we have been trying to really solve the problem so that theory and practice would be in the in the same within the same yes. community yes it's got to be a good balance it really Absolutely, does. it's, yeah. it's a very important. I think it would be best if we could adapt some of those qualities from Finland into the education system over here. Yeah, and I, I think it would be not that difficult. Like, you know, if if I would have an ultimate power here in the the Southern Cross University, <laughs> I would probably, you know, try to see if we could uh, have you know a couple of schools of our own. Yeah, for sure. That like laboratory schools or teaching schools that we would have, you know, somewhere here in Lismore. We could have one in, in Coffs and, and just offer the the professional experience in these schools where you know people like myself and my colleagues who are doing research would also be working with the teachers who are teaching yes. students it's a, it's a very different different world just like in in a medicine it's a good good uh, metaphor here yeah. i reckon we should fight for it now get it started <laughs> i'm happy to if you join me we can there we go together. you and i are starting today <laughs> yeah. there we go that's right in 2013 your book uh finished lessons what can the world learn from educational change in finland won the grillmeyer award for an idea that has potential to change the world. Can you tell us a bit about your idea? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's a long story. This podcast is too too short to go. Yes, it's like little bits and pieces. But, you know, the thing is that we, um, uh, in, by the, by the year 2000, there was a kind of a common belief that the education systems everywhere, here in Australia and Finland, all around the world, uh, could and should be run as a, 
basically as a marketplace sure. that, that we open schools for parents to choose, you know, where they where they uh, educate their kids, and then we have introduced uh, clear standards and measurements and those things. So it's like a marketplace. And then when the OECD started to run this uh, very well-known PISA study that most uh, all the teachers in Australia know and many others. Uh, have heard about it as well, that compares countries' uh, educational performance to one another. The interesting thing was that Finland, uh, against all the odds, became the the best performing system of education. And we have a very different view. We don't see education as a marketplace. It's a it's a human right, and it's a, equity uh, is the key driver, meaning that every child must have uh, equal opportunity to succeed, uh, be successful in education. So this story started to evolve uh, in the 2000s. So by about 2010, when I had a manuscript of this book ready, um, uh, it was very well known around the world that there's a kind of an alternative to this market-driven uh, idea of education, and that that was often called the Finnish model. Okay. Um, and so, so that's the I I, I think as a, I was awarded uh, this promising, a big, uh, prestigious uh, award in the United States because this book started to make a huge impact in in the, in the U.S., for example, where it was initially published, and many politicians uh, started to talk about this. I went to speak. I spoke in the Senate and uh, Congress in the in the Washington D.C. and many state houses around the country, and people realized that that not only the United States but the world needs the kind of an alternative narrative that is a very different, and that's this Finnish model, this Finnish school model. So, so that's I think is the at, at the heart of this idea of. Uh, you know, having having an, an idea that has a potential to change the world, and it ha- actually has not my book alone, but but this uh, the fact that Finland is still trying to uh, show the rest of the world that that you don't need to you don't need to have a kind of a market driven uh, model that we in many ways here have in Australia, but in England and the the United States and many other countries have that there's a there, there is a way to have education that is much more centered on the child and children's yes. right and you know what they need and um, and have a public education like we have we don't have any private schools in Finland yes. amazing thing for many others how how you can including universities yes. way that we never pay for education and it becomes so, a bit of a ranking system when you add that stuff oh yeah, yeah. Abs- abs- absolutely yeah. so so you know if, back home in Finland we Within this model, we often, when we think about education, we of course we think about our own children education, but not anywhere near that it's here or in America. I live about 10 years in the U.S., and it's oftentimes that people, certainly here in Australia, when you have a conversation about education with your friends over the dinner or drinks, it's always about, you know, my kids. Yes. You know, yeah, as soon as yeah. I have good school for my own children, that's it. Yeah. But back home in Finland, it's... Uh, as important uh, to look at the other people's uh, kids as well. So it's like a building the community. And it's what it should thing. be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, there's another point you brought up in the past as well that I'll mention because I 100% agree with you on this. You've spoken about the need to reform NAPLAN uh, completely or even get rid of it. Um, why is that and what would you replace it with? Because I feel as though it... It's it's old school almost. Yeah, it is. You know, NAPLAN uh, when it was introduced in two thousand eight here, um, it was uh, first of all it was introduced here in Australia to turn the uh, declining educational performance right. that this OECD's PISA study that I mentioned was showing. So the idea was that when we measure, when we have more data about what the uh, kids are doing, how the schools perform, we are able to turn it around. And yes. but that doesn't you know it hasn't happened actually we are going faster and faster <laughs> downwards yeah. because of this so so you could say that NAPLAN probably has a role in in this declining further declining thing yeah. but but you know I don't 
think necessarily that we have to get rid of NAPLAN. I definitely think, uh, like you said, that we have we should get rid of this current NAPLAN. Yes. But we do need information about how the system performs, and this this is what the initial purpose of the NAPLAN was that it will uh, help the. Uh, politicians yes. and system leaders to understand the, how the system yeah. is going. Good incentive, poor execution. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So I, I think we need to redesign the whole assessment, national assessment idea, where the, the NAPLAN is, of course, big part of that, so that yeah. it doesn't do any harm for children. I, I think that should be the first criteria, that we should not tolerate any assessment systems, whether it's NAPLAN-like or that does harm to kids or yeah. p- teachers or the families. And we all know how much harm NAPLAN is doing. So that w- that should be the uh, first yeah. thing. But then I, I think in a country like, like Australia, where we have uh, fairly well-trained teachers and strong schools, uh, at least, that the schools could do much more in this assessment space. Uh, you know, now when we are assessing all the children every year, uh, or three, five, year, year three, five, seven, nine, but we, we are measuring the whole cohort, everyone. Yeah. Uh, that's not necessary if we are just asking how the system is going. Yes. And, you know, this is what Finland is doing. This is what many other countries are actually doing right now is that we just take a, uh, a representative sample of kids yes. and then we are measuring them well and then we can basically tell how the system is going. But then what I would do, uh, you know, in addition to uh, that is to... You know, ask teachers and schools to take more responsibility of the the actual assessment of, you know, how the how the how the kids in French schools are learning. You know, we have to remember that NAPLAN type of assessment uh, is only assessing the things that somebody else outside the school thinks is important. But the schools, like your school where you go to teach, you may have your own ideas. It is important for kids, even in things like mathematics and reading. But those are not necessarily measured in in NAPLAN. No, not at all. Yeah, so that's why the, the you know the NAPLAN is telling us, you know, what the kids know and are able to do in the things that we think are important. Yeah. But we have no idea what you know teachers like yourself yeah. and others think that the kids need to have in order yes. to be uh, successful well, in life. I feel teachers lose uh, creative freedom on how to teach um, the classroom mm-hmm. and individual mm-hmm. students. Uh, put stress on the students and it puts stress on the schools because they're being ranked at the same time. Yeah. So, and, and yeah. you know, this is exactly this harm that I mentioned. Yeah. That assessments like this uh, are doing to kids, teachers, and, and communities. And that's why we need a different type of way. We need we, we need an assessment system that is doing no harm or yes. as little harm as possible. But now it's it's run out of the, the yeah. hands of everyone. There's a lot of kids, a lot of well, teachers who uh, are not feeling well because of oh, this. Oh, 100%. Because yeah. we've needed a change for. 20 years to be yeah, honest yeah. and it's just the longer we wait the worse will be so it needs to happen now yeah it but really I, does. I think Blake it's it's important that here in Australia that, that also the conversation in public will move uh, away from this do we need an app plan or not Yes. Should we kill the NAPLAN or, or, or maintain it? I think we we need to we need to have a conversation about what the the new national assessment system would yes. look like. You know, yes. what type of elements, uh, what type of roles, and what is the role of the, the schools and teachers, or what are the role of the departments in in this? And then ha- have a good conversation about how do we do that, rather than this yes or no, it doesn't lead. And I think having a politician with an education background would actually be great in helping with that movement. It, yeah, it would it would be helpful, or at least a a, a somebody who has a has a, like a real good understanding of the importance of education. I, you know, yes. I must say that I came here because of the 
mostly because of the invitation of the former education minister Adrian Piccoli. He was here in New South Wales. And he's often, I use Adrian Piccoli as an example of somebody who is a good education minister, somebody who's not the necessarily an educator, <clears throat> but has a heart and mind to to try to learn and understand and hear what people have to say. And, yes. and we need we need politicians and, and ministers like that more. Absolutely, absolutely. How did you get into Twitter and what's your secret for being a Twitter rock star? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I never heard of that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Twitter rock star, but <laughs> I've been in a rock star and many other, other things. There we go. Yeah, you know, it's... Um, I never really actively campaigned or thought about uh you know the followers i never I, I try not to you know promote myself too much i use twitter only for professional purposes and, and try to share the uh, things i do for those who are interested in following you know reading what i write or uh following some of my my presentations or like podcasts like this i'm gonna share in the, yeah in, in, for sure in a twitter uh but you know i think I, I think it's much of that is because of this uh this finland's education thing that that many people probably uh, want to see what I have to say about this Finnish, uh, uh, Finnish thing. And uh, much of that actually follow community came came right after the uh, uh, this Cromayer Award when it was, you know, my, my book and my work was in the C- uh, CNN and New York Times and Washington Post, so everywhere in the yep. in the US and that kind of blew the, uh, the uh, Twitter space. But uh, yeah, I, it, for me, it's, it's one of these professional platforms to, uh, you know, help help the others to um, be more aware of things that are happening. Before I uh, actually, my final question, since we were talking about Twitter, uh, what are your socials, and where could people uh, find your books on uh, your research? Yeah, you know, I have a, I have my own website again. That's something that is not commercial, sure. although it's a it's, the website uh, address is basisalberg dot com, uh, but that, the history is, is different. But that's where I maintain uh, again. There's information about all my books, all my publications. Okay. Most of them are there. Uh, you can see the um, most of the events if I go and speak. And also, I I'm one of the rare um, performers like this that I have all my presentations. Whenever people ask you, you know, have a have a slide deck when I do a keynote or presentation. I always post everything there, so you can, you can also go and see what I've been incredible <laughs> been speaking and 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 doing. And and you know, many many of those who attend and come come to listen to me that they kind of appreciate that they they don't need to have their yes. smartphones and take a uh, kind of a pictures of the the slides that everything is there so go and go and check the passesalbert.com and then my blogs are there and basically everything i do professionally amazing well for the final question today i want to ask what advice would you give to an education student who might just be starting out, such as myself, who I'm only two years into my course, so I do have a lot more still to learn. So what advice would you give? Yeah, I think uh, I, I think you said that it's important to uh, always learn, you know, keep on yes. learning. That you don't, don't think that as soon as you get your degree that that's it. And yes. you, can, you can put all your papers and articles and, uh, and books away. Uh, I, I think that's the the most important thing that you know. I was uh, my first profession was a teacher. I was a teacher for many years, yep. and somewhere somewhere around probably after five years of teaching, in a, I was teaching mathematics in a high school and, uh, and and physics as well. I kind of realized that how little I actually know. <laughs> right. about, that, sure. that don't think that you're ready to teach when you when you go there. But then the the, the other one is that um, that fi- when you get to your first call, 
try to find somebody to work with. Okay. And and hopefully you can find somebody who could be your mentor, somebody who'd help you a little bit to, you know, when the going gets tough. Mm-hmm. And and you you know the unfortunate situation in many countries, including here, is that if you if you're a new teacher, newly in a, uh, trained teacher and uh, or early career teacher, you go to your first call. What do you teach? You teach the hardest class that you teach the kids that nobody else wants to have. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so and and this uh, it should be the other way around. It's, yeah. They should give you the kind of easiest uh, thing to start, so you, you can keep on continue learning. But but that's the one thing that it makes the. Um, uh, the, the fellow, the, the colleague or friend in the school so important. You know, most of those people here who leave the school uh, tell at some point they say that I, I left teaching or left my school because I just couldn't take it anymore. Yes. And they often say that Too much I didn't, pressure. Ha- yeah, I, I yeah. didn't have anybody to kind of uh, talk about these things. Yeah. But then, the you know, the last thing is that I also learned um, learned during my, my early years of teaching is that how important it is to tell your children in the classroom that just say that, you know, it's a great question, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't have an answer to this because yeah. you know the kids when they are in your class, particularly primary school, they sure. think when they look at the teachers, they think that you know everything. Claim. And when the primary school teacher says that, sorry, I don't know, but it's, it's a, let's let's figure out what's there. They're kind of let's like, work you're, together. Yeah, you're, you're teacher yeah. and you don't know, <laughs> but that's exactly how it should be. That <laughs> y- your students they need to no need to learn that that you know there are things that I don't know. Yep. But let's work together and see you know how we Absolutely. can. Teaches them then how yeah. to go through the process yeah. of learning. So, so don't don't make sure that you you don't have this image as a teacher that you know people young people would know that I know everything. Just yes. tell them that there are many things I don't know, but I know how to figure out what it yeah. is, and and I want you to help me. And that will create a completely different oh, uh, ethos in a classroom. Definitely. Yeah. Well, there was an experience I actually had on placement at a school, which you might even find funny. I was teaching a year one class, and you go into year one thinking, well. I'm an adult, I've done this before, I should know everything. And I went in there and with a bit of anxiety one day having to teach a science experiment thinking, oh, it's going to go wrong. And something that I was worried about actually went well and it yeah. all the kids loved it. Yeah. But then another day I'm doing a spelling test and I'm writing letters on the board and I do like a capital B and then I write a lowercase b and all the kids say, that's a six because of the way I've written it on the board. And for what, oh, 10, 15 years now, I've mainly been on a computer. I never have to really use pen and That's pad. Right. So right. I've lost how, the ability of knowing how to correctly draw a lowercase b compared to a six. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's just, it's funny to know the simple things people can lose touch with yeah. and you almost learn from the kids sometimes. Yeah, so yeah, it's a very yeah. interesting environment. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, going back to this, uh, that uh, young, young people think, kids think that teachers know everything. I often, uh, you know, when I have two young boys who are in a primary school, but when they were really young, I told them that I have to go and... Um, uh, make a lecture or keynote to teachers in a teachers conference, and they were kind of like, "But why, why do you why do you need to teach teachers? Because they already know everything. <laughs> <laughs> so they know a lot, but they probably want to know a little bit more." And, exactly. And, you know, this, this is exactly the kind of a spirit that I hope hope you, Blake, and and your colleagues will will maintain that yes. this is just a kind of a beginning of this wonderful journey right. of being a teacher. But then, if you keep on you know, learning and educating yourself, yes. sensitive to these kids in your class, they can teach you a lot. Then it will be a beautiful Leave your beautiful ego thing. at the door, be prepared to learn. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on today, uh, Parsi. It's been great talking to you. And I hope we can uh, chat again soon. We will. Thank you so much. Bye.